Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to what is now our our 50th episode. It finally has happened. We are finally here. I never thought we would make it quite <laughs> this far uh, when we started out last summer, but here we are, episode 50. We can cue the celebration right. and the tinsel and the, uh, <laughs> the confetti and everything like that. We are going to be talking today, or I should say, first of all, I'm Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. <laughs> we can't miss that <laughs> yeah. perfect introduction that we always have. Um, we're going to be talking about a subject that is near and dear to our hearts as younger pastors uh, mm-hmm. in a reformed church. And so as you can see um, from the topic of the episode or the title of the episode, we are t- going to be talking about the state of Calvinism in America. So this will mm-hmm. include Canada as well, although we can speak better, I think both of us, to the situation as it is on the ground in the United States of America in particular. And so with all of this, we'll be talking about where Reformed theology is, where it has been, where it's going. And of course, one of the big things that will come into this conversation is what many call the Young, Restless, and Reformed movement. So if any of you listeners have been following along with another podcast, which is getting a lot of Mm -hmm. buzz, Mm -hmm. which may be good, may be bad, is the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, which is following, of course, as the name implies, the story of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, which is the former church of Mark Driscoll. Um, It's a very controversial podcast. It's getting at a lot of different issues in the broader evangelical Mm -hmm. church Mm -hmm. and in the Reformed church. And so both Mark and I have been following along with it. Um, I'm not just interested in the Mars Hill story. I'm also very interested in what the podcast says about the state of evangelicalism. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an interesting moment for evangelicalism, just this podcast alone. And so that makes it fascinating. And I have many thoughts about <laughs> it, but maybe that's for another episode. Yeah. Down the road, we should do a <laughs> rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast review. Yeah. Just sort of what do we take away from that? I yeah. think this is a little bit more broad, right? In terms yes. of so Mars Hill yeah, definitely. definitely impacted a lot of people's understandings of Calvinism, of Reformed theology. Hmm. Um, not just Mars Hill, of course, but you have people like John Piper, John MacArthur, and then many in the Young, Restless, and Reformed movement, which was Mars Hill and hmm. uh, a few others. David Platt would probably be in that category. Um, a number of young zealous pastors who were excited about Calvinism, Reformed theology, often complementarianism, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and there was just this explosion of interest in John Calvin in Reformed theology, mostly John Calvin. I would say you didn't hear mm-hmm. quite as much about Kuiper and Bovink and um, yeah. Van Til, and, and you heard a little bit of, uh, of some of that, um, but uh, mostly it was sort of this reformational... Mm-hmm. zeal like wow there's this reformation happened 500 years ago and we need yeah. to know about this we need to know this theology it's exciting it's very philosophically interesting it's very intellectual 
Hmm. And uh, we need to get excited about that. And and I would say from about 2000 to about 2015, this young, restless, and reform movement was taking evangelicalism, I wouldn't say quite by storm, but it was definitely noticed among yeah. evangelical circles. Yeah, so how would you describe this young, restless, and reformed movement? This won't be, again, what the whole episode is about, but it is a huge part of the yeah. puzzle. Yeah, How would you describe it? Young, restless, and reformed definitely would be a reaction to me against the seeker church growth movement of the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. So think Bill Hybels, Rick Warren, um, even still today, Andy Stanley. um, Stephen Furtick would take that to another level. But Andy Stanley, Hmm. Bill Hybels, Rick Warren, those types of churches that are sort of Lower, lower the bar, you would say. Uh, be, don't be too theological. Mm-hmm. Um, be very, almost like a TED Talk feel to yeah. it. Um, and uh, be seeker sensitive. Um, honestly, don't say things like sin. Don't talk about money. Um, yeah. You know, eventually I think that Hybels, Warren, and, and Andy Stanley get around to those topics, but that is definitely not at the core of like what you're going to pull away from a service is, wow, I'm a sinner yeah. and I need to be reconciled to a holy God. Hmm. It's, it's going to be more of like how Jesus helps me to uh, right. get through my day and, and not just be a good person because I think there's some gospel there, but it's a watered down message. And so from that comes the young, restless, and reformed guys, particularly Driscoll, hmm. Um, who's really spearheading a lot of this, uh, Matt Chandler would be another one for sure, yeah. um, that are like, uh, you know, Matt Chandler's got his famous message, you are not David, Jesus oh, yeah. is David. Um, you aren't, you know, it's it's a reaction against moralizing Bible stories and uh, yeah. really kind of an excitement for more theology. Yeah, and the title of it does give a good description. It was mostly young people. Yep, and there was a restlessness of their spirituality. Like we can do more, we can do better than this. Um, what we're what we're currently getting is not good enough. It's not rooted enough. It, mm-hmm. So there's this restlessness of searching for something deeper, something stronger, something more robust. Mm-hmm. And then it was reformed, at least in the uh, soteriological or salvational sense. It sort of believed the five points of Calvinism as a sort of standard beyond that mm-hmm. different things would be mm-hmm. very disagreed about. Um, complementarianism uh, would be taken to different degrees yeah, or baptism. Baptism was a yep. big one. Yeah. The sacraments in general. Yeah. Um, ecclesiology, worship style, worship yep. style yep. speaking in tongues or not, those sorts of things were all sort of uh, secondary issues. There was a sort of the rallying point was the five points of Calvinism and the reaction against seeker sensitive Yes, kinds of yeah. like and so it um and so some of us some people would listen to this the state of calvinism in america and be a little bit surprised that we're jumping so quickly into the young restless and reform movement which is pretty much a small yeah. p- piece of the pie but i do think we need to be honest even within the christian reform church which existed long before <laughs> the young restless and reformed and will hopefully exist long after um that that is i think what a lot of people think in evangelicalism when they hear calvinism yeah would be this cage stage yes uh reformed guy 
who goes on blogs and you know um you're that, describing that, me <laughs> <laughs> well that that's unfortunately what it was for a yeah. little while was was that was the evangelical perception of calvinism um yeah. whether we like it or not because we were a small a small fish in a big pond in the christian yeah. reformed church and so was the pca quite honestly mm-hmm. until a guy like keller um and and some other people start doing things with gospel coalition yeah. like duncan um and, and we were just like doing our reformed thing mm-hmm. and that's kind of how i grew up and then there's this explosion of interest in calvinism and that's the purpose of this podcast episode is, well, where are we at now? Yeah, we're not doing the history of American Calvinism. Yeah. We're doing the state of it. Yeah. And where it's at now, a huge part of that story, I think, is the young, restless, and reformed movement. And so it's important to talk about this. And there's a sort of angstiness, mainly amongst millennials and Gen X, mm-hmm. um, who grew up in churches that yeah, were kind of theologically thin, um, or at least they felt it to be that way, um, and they were wanting something more. And it's interesting to me, I grew up right in the middle of this, mm. the big juxtaposition at the time in about 2005, 2006 was on the one hand in the evangelical world you had the Rob Bell, Brian McLaren stream, the emergent church as yep. it was being called Even open then. theism a little bit there. And so yeah. we've all watched the NUMA videos. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> yeah. if you were in youth group in those years, you've seen those NUMA videos. Um, and then the other option was this Young, Restless, and Reformed, which is, uh, as we've said, very much a reaction against that sort of uh, approach to evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Evangelicalism at the millennium was at a sort of crossroads, it seemed. Um, are we going to keep keep going and becoming more culturally relevant and is that mm-hmm. going to be our aim or are we going to hold on to the the, the, the evangel um and to the bible uh, and to the reformation to the reformation yeah, yeah. and so one. that was the sort of crossroads that people were beginning to see at that point and so that is what largely led to i think the young restless and reformed movement and a lot of it a lot of the young restless and reformed movement as mark noted is not actually really spearheaded by the historically reformed mm. or Calvinistic denominations. Oh, for sure. Um, though they definitely had a part to play, uh, a lot of it was led by people who were leaving sort of vanilla, non-denominational mm-hmm. evangelicalism and wanting something different than that, uh, wanting something more rigorous and robust. And so that's what Reformed theology offered, especially this new Calvinist yeah. Uh, movement and that's what connected it in a lot of ways to people like John Piper and John MacArthur and J.I. Yeah. Packer, um, Albert Moeller, um, Ligon Duncan, R.C. Sproul. Yep. Um, all, so those guys we certainly wouldn't categorize as young, restless, and reformed, mm-hmm. um, but but they were godfathers in a way yeah. of theologically of yeah. this this sort of movement, this zeitgeist that just sort of swept through. Um, and I think to be quite honest, as we look at the state of Calvinism in, um, broader America, that has certainly faded Hmm. in, in its, um, energy. Uh, you don't, I, I, I can't think of right now mega churches that are just like the big church that's sort of the up and coming influential church that is Calvinistic in nature. Um, it, it seems to me that uh that has probably gone 
yeah. um, that it's it's reverted back to sort of an American evangelical Arminianism, mm-hmm. and and um, man, I, it's hard to say exactly who the large influential churches in America are right now, partly because of COVID, and uh, <laughs> there's going to be some very large churches that are going to be hurt a lot by COVID-19, and so I, I don't know who the most influential church in America is right now, but there was a yeah. time where you could say these four or five very large influential churches churches teach Reformed theology. Yeah. And I don't know if you could say that so much. Yeah, anymore. that's an interesting point. Um, I think maybe because of this whole movement and how it has, you could say, fizzled out in a sense, although I think that there's still reverberations yeah. and, and after effects. Uh, I think people are beginning to learn this lesson in the Reformed world. Those who hold to Reformed soteriology or the five points have become a little bit more well-read and broad Reformed theology, not just those five points. And I think there's a realization that has begun to set in for many people that Reformed theology and megachurch practices don't really fit all that well together. Particularly the polity. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The the theology itself might you might be able to package it like what was happening that's, during That's Mars Hill. From yeah. yeah, 05 to or 2000 to 2015 or so. It could be packaged in a way that would be like, "Wow, this is really helpful, great theology." But then when once you start to read John Calvin and how he thinks a church should work, yeah. it just yeah. does like what what the reformed pastor should be doing based on, you know, Richard Baxter's great work, the reformed pastor. Yeah. Um, it's like all of a sudden it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. You can see the distance between yeah. Calvin and John Piper or whoever today. Um, the so th- yeah, there's a, th- there's, there's the whole explanation. I think we've kind of gotten that a little bit and people, if you know it, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> and maybe if you didn't know it prior, maybe you could say, oh, yeah, now I actually I've, I've seen that over the past 15 years or so. Um, I do want to speak, though, a little bit to each of our involvement, mm. um, particularly as two millennial Christians who grew up sort of in the midst of this. Mark mm-hmm. being a little bit older than me. I think by what eight years or something. Yeah, thirty-nine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we experienced different different parts of it. We were in different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's your experience yeah. with it? Well, I grew up in the Christian Reformed Church, so um, definitely had the perception, even as a child, that being Reformed was a good thing. Even though I don't know if I would have been able to tell you what that is. <laughs> uh, so, and I attended a really a seeker sensitive. Christian Reformed Church, which is an interesting mix, as we've already mentioned. Um, but uh, for for me, yeah, to grow up in the the '90s really is when I was was a kid and, and becoming an adult. Um, I was I was noticing and desiring more of a hunger for um, something that was more solid, even though I was already in the Reformed stream. I, I just had the sense that. That there would be more uh, intellectual rigor probably behind a lot of this, and so um, I wouldn't say that I got swept up in this new Calvinism, mm. this this uh, young restless and reform movement. But um, once it, that started unfolding, I, I realized well, I've already 
been hearing a lot of this the Heidelberg Catechism, and so it it, it struck me as a little strange. It didn't seem all all that avant garde, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, that's an interesting read. And uh, and and so I think that that's probably the perception of most Christian Reformed people of the movement. Like mm-hmm. we, we've been doing this for a long time. We've got a Reformed polity. We've got the Heidelberg Catechism. We're confessional. Mm-hmm. We have um, the five points of Calvinism. Um, even if that isn't always expressed as forthrightly as I think it should be, but like mm-hmm. in my church of origin, I wish that it would be, but that was still the, right. the, the waters that we swam in in a lot of ways. Hmm. And so I think that a lot of those churches and people like in the Christian Reformed Church will come out of this new Calvinism kind of zeitgeist, maybe just going back to more of the same, yeah, we'll, we'll just... Uh, drop in a little reference to the Heidelberg Catechism every once in a while in a sermon, but that's about the extent of our excitement about Reformed theology. Hmm. So I would be, I'd say, overall disappointed if that's the only thing that comes from it. I think it was maybe a great recovery of Hmm. uh, how Reformed theology can actually be really interesting to people. And so to me, that would be the best thing that could come from it, Hmm. would, would be even for somebody like me as a pastor to see that people, a non-believer could come into a church and believe that the Calvinistic expression of salvation and how we understand God's word and, and the work of Christ, that that could be like something that they would want to hear about. Yeah, I think that, that that's probably yeah. what I think would be a good application of the new Calvinism of Young Restless and Reform Movement in our continental mm-hmm. reform context. So sounds a little bit like yesterday i went on a trip and uh we went to a brewery it was me and my wife we went to a brewery i've always wanted to go to russian river brewing they brew (laughs) pliny the elder if you know about it it's a good beer it's sort of a landmark beer and so when we went this this man sitting next to us at a different table by himself overheard our conversation me and my wife and so he interrupted and said hey i hear you guys are you guys are visiting um, it's always cool to have visitors come by this brewery. I'm a member of like the membership club or something where he got like <laughs> a certain allotment of beers every once in a while. And he's like, it's always cool to hear people visiting because this is my hometown. I live a few blocks away. And mm. it's always, uh, it always reminds me of how, just how good this brewery is. And mm, it's, yeah, that probably is how it felt yeah. growing up in the CRC to have evangelicals who, and at that point in the CRC, from the, what I know, the CRC was in some ways, wanting to be more like a, the broadly yeah. evangelical world. I think so. That was maybe one stream of the CRC, at least. Probably a pretty big voice, though. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so then for you to be growing up in that CRC and then to hear evangelicals saying how much they love your tradition, yeah. that probably would have been a little bit It's not what we expected, strange. for sure, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Reformed theology in the 90s was yeah. like, I mean, Bill Hybels was reacting against a lot of things that he right. saw in the Reformed Church. And right. so that was what we were told is like the backwards, we are not going back to that, yeah. especially in my context, which was a church growth movement church. Um, and so hmm. when when these young Restless and Reformed guys come along and they have conferences with 8,000 pastors hmm. of all, all these people who are getting really excited about hearing a John Calvin quote, like yeah. um, that, that to me woke me up to the goodness of what I hmm. 
hopeful, wished I would have received a little bit more um, than yeah. I even did in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. So, so that, that's an interesting read on it because I am one of those guys who did not grow up in it and came into it. And I've shared that several times, so I won't rehash the whole thing. But Mark Driscoll actually in particular was pretty influential in my journey into Reformed theology through his book, Doctrine, What Every Christian Should Believe. Um, and so I was sort of really spiritually restless and sort of ecclesiologically homeless. I had a Christian, I had a church home, but in terms of like, what kind of Christian am I? That question Mm -hmm. I did not have a good answer to. Uh, and so as I began to study reformed theology, it was finally as if for the first time, a sort of theological framework that made sense of scripture and made sense of my world around me. And so I became very dedicated to it. Um, and it's been an interesting decade now. That was about 2010, <laughs> late 2010, so a little over 10 years now since I would have since I could consider myself reformed. Since you converted, yes, yeah, since I had a conversion <laughs> yeah, <right>. experience. <laughs> um, and so I come into it with I came into it with wide eyes, sort of like this is it. I found mm. absolute truth. Mm-hmm. I can remember as a 20. 20-year-old, 21-year-old thinking reformed theology. If I just if I just watch enough RC Sproul videos yeah. and read enough Wayne Grudem, <laughs> I will know the truth and <laughs> and I will have no other reading to be done. I'll just mm. be able to teach people pure pure truth. Um, and so of, of course I've been disabused of that idea, that sort of uh, naivety um, over the years, but I'm still reformed. And so mm. that, that sort of gets our involvement in it. Um, and that's and probably we, pretty representative of a good number of people, both yeah. me and the, like in the CRC, you could also extend that to RCA, PCA, PCUSA, um, hmm. you know, which has a lot of good churches in it, even though there's yeah. uh, for all their struggles. I'm, I'm sure they're str- they're struggling in various ways, but mm-hmm. kind of having a reformed identity um, and seeing this cultural movement getting us a little bit more excited about our confessions. I think that's a good number of people. Yeah. And then your, your situation, too, is probably representative of a good number of people as well. Mm-hmm. People really came to faith at Mars Hill Church. Yeah. Um, they really got excited about great answers from Christian history and uh, mm-hmm. from the Bible about things that we face in our life today that were a lot more than just Jesus loves me. And so mm-hmm. I think that both of us, I don't know if, if we are representative of a massive portion of Calvinism, but maybe a significant portion. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, that hopefully we can offer, offer some, some wisdom on, on maybe even where we go forward as well. Yeah. So I think it would be helpful to also give an assessment here. Yeah. Now that we've sort of told our stories, yeah our involvement in it, we could, I think, work through what was the good about it or what is the good that, that has come from it, what's been some of the, the bad things. I think the whole rise and fall of Mars Hill sort of clearly illustrates yeah. some of the bad. Yeah. Um, so what's been the good, the bad, and the ugly? Uh, how would we assess it? I, I can say, just starting out, for me, there's been more good than bad, I think. Mm. Um of course, I would say that I came into the Reformed tradition through this uh, this path of the Young Restless Reformed movement. Uh, that, that is how I 
really grew in my faith, not just intellectually, but in my piety, my devotion to God, uh, my understanding of his word, uh, my love for for serving people has been very much influenced by what I've learned in this movement and from the leaders of this movement, from authors, pastors, theologians. Um, so there's so much good for me and mm. I, it, it created in me a deep zeal for reformed theology that I still have and I still want others to know. Um, so there's a lot of good. What, what have been some yeah. of the other good things you've seen f- come of it? Well, an interest in church history would be hmm. one thing. So if if somebody learns my pastor is a Calvinist or is reformed in some way, um, that would hopefully prompt them to say, well, what is that? And uh, I'm going to look yeah. into that thing that this person who studies the Bible a lot believes is a good system, a yeah. good way of understanding um, the word. And I think, um, obviously that's, well, hopefully that that's going to be happening in reformed Presbyterian, um, reformed Baptist churches. But, uh, even I'll give you an example of, of where this is interesting to me. Um, my, uh, my wife's sisters, uh, two of them married, um, Baptistic or Mennonite men. And, and one goes to a very large Mennonite church in Vancouver, downtown church on the West side is the name of it, and uh, or West Side Church. And so it's a Mennonite church. And uh, several years ago, their pastor preached a sermon series on the five points of Calvinism, hmm. basically saying this is our soteriology of this congregation. Whoa. Yeah, which is amazing, right? And so... If you he, know church history, that's... That is very surprising. Pretty strange, yeah. And I would say that is a direct result of this this movement of neo-Calvinism where uh, church planters, X29 Network in particular, but church planters in the CRC and in the RCA and, hmm. and other PCA certainly as well, ha- have definitely gained some confidence in just theolo- good theology itself and Calvinistic theology in particular. Hmm. So uh, I, I was really surprised when I heard Norm Funk of Westside Church was preaching the five points of Calvinism hmm. um, and basically saying this is how, how we understand salvation works. And he was interviewing, uh, he gave the famous interview of uh, John Piper, actually, when he talked about Mark, um, Mark Driscoll and all of the fallout. That was hmm. my sister-in-law, brother-in-law's pastor talking with John, with John Piper about that. And so he's in this sort of stream gospel coalition together okay, for the yeah. gospel. Um, you know, it's it's all connecting people together and getting them excited about reformed theology. I think that that's a good thing. It's interesting. It reminds me of a time I was at the Gospel Coalition Conference in 2015. I was in the bookstore at all the, like the different like tables and booths and I bumped into a guy who was for some serving some, for some ministry and he told me that he was a reformed Anabaptist. And I remember thinking, <laughs> that sounds like an oxymoron to me. But Well, I think Martin Lloyd-Jones <laughs> was a uh, Calvinistic Methodist. Yeah, and which so. also sounds like an oxymoron. But <laughs> yeah. but the, the point you make is interesting yeah. about church history. It put that on the map for people, yeah. and it, it made people really think about the Reformation. Um, I think so much there's been a movement with the, soul, the whole church mega church sort of thing um the secret sensitive thing yeah to sort of put that stuff in the back seat 
um, to not make it such a, such a big deal. Um, Even something like, um, you know, again, I think of that mega church in Vancouver, and he preached straight through Romans. It's like, I, I do think that is that can be traced to the new Calvinism, young, restless, reformed uh, desire for yeah. straightforward expository biblical preaching. Hmm. That that definitely was not something that I heard growing up. Um, sort of an unashamedness of the Bible. Yeah, uh, I think that would be a big one too. Like to have a mega church in Vancouver spending, I think, like two and a half years in Romans, just like going verse by verse through. Yeah, you you just did not see that in the early nineties. Yeah, in a large church. That's a really good point. I hadn't quite thought of that, but the young restless and reform movement did reinvigorate a expository preaching expository yeah. preaching and a, a really strong commitment to scripture yeah. and not feeling like you had to be a fundamentalist to have mm. a strong commitment mm-hmm. you could so you, it, it adapted to the evangelical sort of cultural relevance thing in a, in a sense by saying we don't have to be ashamed of preaching the scripture and of making this a central facet of our ministry um and so you see like the gospel coalition g- was very popular in the mm. in the movement um it still is um and it was young people it was young yeah. you could say culturally hip kind of young people coming to the conferences oh, yeah, man. who yeah. loved scripture yeah um, i went to a conference at that church again downtown vancouver you had um probably 2000 20 somethings all yeah. young professionals in Vancouver sitting for a whole Saturday listening to John Piper talk. Yeah, it broke down that dichotomy of yep. thinking that you either have to be really hip and cool and you can sort of t- toss these old doctrines off the shelf and the Bible, it's kind of this, you know, this human document. It's got some wisdom. It took that and that whole idea of being like very conservative, holding to, you know, the basic truths of Christianity, the, the real resurrection, mm. Jesus' atonement for, for sin, sin in general, uh, and said you can actually hold on to these historic doctrines and yep. uh, be a be relevant. thinking, yep. interesting, yep. Per- engaged person who thinks about culture on a deep level um, and said that you don't have to choose between those two paths, which... Yeah as I was saying, sort of is how it felt back then that you did have to mm. choose mm-hmm. between those two paths. You either had to be really culturally relevant and hip and cool, or you had to be the doctrinaire guy with the suit and tie who nobody wanted to be around. And it was saying, <laughs> no, you don't have to choose between those. You can bridge that gap. And that was part of the strength, really, yeah. of the movement. Yeah. Uh, well, and as we apply things even to like our context in the Christian Reformed Church, I think we could also talk a little bit about United Reformed Church, some of the more yeah. um, conservative Calvinistic denominations. Um, I think that often theologically conservative Christian Reformed people, um, my experience of the URC, is that there's uh, there's a real devotion and a very good devotion to the word, to good theology, but um, to be quite honest, we're not always so great about um, applying that in really relevant, interesting, even creative ways to yeah. uh, various things that are happening in our culture, in our world right now. And I'm not even saying like, like we have to repackage the gospel so that it's more appealing to people, right. but... Um, there's just sort of a a um, maybe a lack of connectivity 
that you might say from the traditionally reformed denominations to what is happening in a person's life today. And I would say um, this, this movement from about 05 to 2015 challenged some of that. It's like, Mm -hmm. let's make things really practical. Um, Let's get together and study theology, but let's also um, Mm -hmm. talk about how that, that matters for politics or Mm -hmm. or whatever, like instead of uh, maybe creating too many hard lines between secular life and sacred life. Yeah. Part of that could be is that these historically conservative reform denominations uh, such as the URC or the CRC and its conservative side, that people had a very settled way of life, often yep. in smaller towns such as ours. Mm-hmm. And so there wasn't that that bridge that, that connected them to broader culture as much. And I think now with the internet and with social media, all that's sort of being broken down and people are, especially yep. young people, are more fluent with the ways of the world than they certainly would have been 50 or 60 years ago. Well, I, I can hear the Kuyperian people listening to this saying, no, we've always had Kuyperianism in the Christian Reformed <laughs> Church. And, and I think that that's true, but it was it's always been kind of an intellectual Kuyperianism hmm. to me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and sort of a... You didn't see, certainly see hip-hop artists. You yeah. Know? Christian hip hop. That only makes sense today. I don't know if I, know why I want to, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you know what I mean. It's it's uh, it's sort of an intellectual understanding of Christ's sovereignty over all spheres of life, yeah, and less of a organic expression right. of Christ's sovereignty over all spheres of life. And I I think you saw more of that coming from some of these uh, young restless and reformed. I mean trying to mm-hmm. trying to see some of the positive in that movement which had some negative to it i think that probably is one of the more positive things it it was not intellectualized i think we were probably guilty of that in generations right. past right. and more theologically conservative calvinistic churches still are guilty of mm-hmm. intellectualizing the sovereignty of christ um instead of like actually saying um and you know that's going to re- require that i invite my coworker to church Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think that that happened a lot during that. There's a, a huge growth of evangelism among Calvinistic people, hmm. which is, again, not really what the Christian Reformed Church is super great at. So yeah. hopefully we can learn from that. Yeah, that was that's an interesting part of the rise and fall of Mars Hill for me as a podcast, is talking about the punk rock attitude, hmm. which is, <laughs> that was one of these things that was such a grand success in terms of numeric success yeah is that they were able to to take very heady theology well quite heady i mean it's not the most intellectual brand of reformed theology but calvinism to the the indie concert you know and to make it fit and hip and interesting to to people like that or to the punk rock world or whatever it was um that was one of maybe the strengths of the Young Restless Reform Movement is bridging that gap. Sometimes, however, it would go too far, obviously. Um, yeah, it would almost use Calvinism as a shtick. Yeah. Um, as yeah. sort of the shock value of election, the shock value of um, irresistible grace, you know. Um, and actually, the Canons of Dort talk about how we need to be tactful, careful, <laughs> and how yeah. we talk about a lot of these Calvinistic doctrines because um, they're mysterious, um, and and so 
while it was good in its unashamedness, that's maybe what you mean by the punk rock attitude. It's yeah. just like, this is who we are, take it or leave it. Yeah. So that that has a good element to it. But where it really went wrong was where it became in your face. Yeah. Um, this is our theology, and I'm going to sort of smash you over the head There's with it. interesting connections, too, that I've heard, even from John MacArthur, where I agree with him. He actually critiques... Um, he's talking about, it was 2016, I think, he's talking about mm. the connection between having big pastors like Mark Driscoll and President Trump and sort of that brashness, that in-your-faceness, um, which maybe I'm wading into too many political <laughs> waters now. But no, it's, There's a connection there, the appeal of the... The warrior figure. Yeah, and just like the take t- offer no apologies, take no prisoners yeah. sort of um, attitude. Exactly. And yeah, so, which is probably the worst that came from the we, YRR movement. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And if you want a whole litany of other things, you can go listen <laughs> to that podcast. Yeah, you'll, it's you'll rough. find yeah. uh, some some things that were quite quite horrendous uh, morally and spiritually. Um, but we've been talking about it a little bit. What effect do we see the young restless and reform movement having on Calvinism more broadly in America? Mm. Um, how has it, we'll start with our own denomination, how has it directly affected the CRC? You would know more about yeah. this than I do. Well, I hope it gives um, seminary professors, pastors, college professors at Calvin, Dort, Redeemer, Kings, um, I hope it gives them more confidence in our doctrines um it's almost like the you don't want to overinterpret events but perhaps one of the purposes of the explosion of interest in calvinism during the last 20 years a very small reason for it could be to encourage uh reform pastors that this can be appealing this this truth, which we believe it is, um, can be really helpful in yeah. in enabling people to sort through some really complicated issues in a world that's changing. Um, mm. It's it's a really solid foundation that people can stand on. That's that's my hope for. Hmm. Uh, I see the the reason that I even pause as I say these things is I don't think that that is the application that we are drawing from it. Um, because of books like uh, Jesus and John Wayne, and um, what's the other one about biblical womanhood? Um, oh, uh, by uh, Var. Yeah, Formation uh, of Biblical Womanhood or something like that. Yeah. Um, the, 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 because of books like this that, that, that look at, in a lot of cases... The making of biblical the make, womanhood. Yes. Um, be, they look at the connections between um, more theologically-minded cultures and complementarianism and things like that and would would just sort of say that didn't go well and yeah. look at Mark Driscoll yep. uh, look at what you know other people James McDonald CJ Mahaney you know and and the, these people who had their problems and so uh, I think it's being discarded quite a bit actually hmm. um, where I would say we should gather up the the good things the that that sort of have come from it which i think is a 
a confidence in reform doctrine and yeah. absolutely uh, cast a critical eye towards all of the manipulations and stuff that happened um, in the, a lot of those contexts. So I, I think that a lot of the benefit in the Christian Reformed Church might be lost um, hmm. if if maybe people <laughs> don't stand up. I mean, it's a little bit what we're trying to do with this whole podcast, really, is to say um, we can we can hold on to something really solid, really good for us, yeah. and that is great Reformed theology. Um, and it doesn't have to look like this power-mongering guy in hmm. Seattle it can look like a real servant-hearted um, husband or wife or pastor or family. Um, I, I, I hope that that is what we can come out of this new Calvinistic movement being confident in. Yeah, and I think with my limited perspective, but I do pay attention to what goes on in the CRC and how, how pastors talk about different issues and so on. It's It's been interesting coming in from the outside and being so passionate about reformed theology mm, mm-hmm. in a denominational context that I guess you could describe as being a little bit ambivalent, mm. having mixed feelings towards reformed theology. Absolutely. Um, go to and, a, and I realize uh, I'm not alone. There yeah. are other people like me. Yeah. Sorry. I don't go to a classist meeting and, and hear an exam of a new pastor in the CRC. Yeah. Uh, there, there is, it's not going to be as solid as you would hope in terms of, I love the doctrines of grace. I love yeah. that God is so glorious and holy and saves me, a totally depraved sinner. Like yeah. you're not going to hear that quite as vociferously and enthusiastically as as you would probably expect. Like right. what he's just said, what you expected to hear. In yeah, the CRC. and so, but I do feel like there are other people that I've met in our denomination who come from hmm. outside the CRC and have become passionate about Reformed theology and who serve as sort of witnesses uh, they, their testimonies are important to the crc to be reminded that what we have at our heart our confessional tradition is incredibly important and ought not to be lost mm. um mm-hmm. and i i do see that um taking root a little bit um there are some people <laughs> who I get the feeling that no matter how passionate I am about Reformed theology, they're so turned off mm. to it in their own denomination that it's sort of like if a foreigner were to move to the United States and try to tell me how much they loved McDonald's, I would say, no, you know, it's, yeah. it's unhealthy. <laughs> uh, but I'd prefer not to, to eat 20 that. other restaurants that are better yeah, than I that. Yeah, I could tell yeah. you all these better things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's sort of how I feel sometimes like that for <laughs> trying to show people, no, but this is good. Yeah. Um, and not to say that the CRC is like McDonald's. It's far better than that. But some people have a low view yeah. of it. And I know there's a history. Mm-hmm. A lot of these people grew up in, in contexts in the CRC yep. 50 or 60 years ago that were quite different than they are today. And in some cases toxic and very unhealthy. And yeah. that's a lot of Painful. what is, is yeah. drawn out in a book like Jesus and John Wayne right. and the making of biblical womanhood. And there's and, some legitimacy to that. Yeah. I, I can't deny that. I, the CRC, some, some of the stories I've heard doesn't sound like it was all perfect back in 1950. Far from it. Uh, but I hope that our denomination doesn't turn from our, we don't give up our inheritance for a bowl of, of soup. Mm. Um, that's that's sort of how I feel. Um, but how has it affected it? 
it's hard to say how it has affected the CRC in general. How has the young restless reform, the new Calvinism yeah. affected it? I think for some people it has really reinvigorated that love for reformed theology. And sadly for other people, it has uh, only further hardened mm. their heart towards reformed theology yeah. um, and towards the doctrines of grace and towards the truths of the reformation. Um, and so it has had a interesting <laughs> effect. Um, yeah. And, and where, where is it going? Um, yeah, there are that, so that many streams of, of evangelicalism or of Protestant Christianity. Um, obviously, we have the social justice-minded stream where, um, to, to be honest, I think that there's pretty light on the gospel itself as defined in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, mm-hmm. that Christ had died for our sins according to the scriptures and rose from the dead. Um, for our salvation, these things, are, this, that is the gospel of first mm-hmm. importance according to the Apostle Paul, but there are definitely streams in Protestantism that are, are lighter on that hmm. sin, salvation message than they are on social justice, and I think that that is there in many Calvinistic um, groups, including in the Christian Reformed Church, of course. There's a very large stream of people who... Uh, you know, I think of the Office of Social Justice and um, a lot of what I see coming out of Calvin University is um, mm. huge emphasis, of course, on these social movements, social issues, and um, a little bit less on the gospel itself. And so yeah. th- that is, in a lot of ways, a reaction against this zeitgeist of excitement about reform theology. I think that among a lot of Christian Reformed people, that was interpreted as dis- too disconnected from the world. Hmm. And, you know, people were excited about Reformed theology, but maybe not all that interested in race issues. And that is a problem. Um, yeah. But then things get sort of flipped around so that uh, social issues become so important that uh, being Reformed, reading anything by John Calvin or <laughs> Herman Bovink or, or Abraham Kuyper, it's like, well, why would anyone do that? It doesn't really matter for putting food in the mouth of my neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, that is a huge part of the equation now. Yeah. And this has been going on for the past, I don't know, three, four, five years. And a lot of it that I've seen on blogs and so on re- revolves around the conversation about what's going on with the Gospel Coalition. Mm, yeah. The Gospel Coalition has sort of been the... Yeah, that's a good representative the, the of Representative the yeah. of the whole movement yeah. as a broad structure. And it seems to many people and I'm not saying this or not saying this, I'm just sort of observing this, the Gospel Coalition is moving towards the more social justice side of things. That's the way that a lot of people are saying, yeah. And so a lot of people who have have for so long followed the Gospel Coalition have begun to sort of turn their back on it and the social justice sides of things. And so that is a current debate that will be interesting to see how that unfolds in the next five to ten years. Mm. Uh, what, What happens with these old restless and reformed <laughs> people yep. people who have grown up and matured in this movement um, or adjacent to this movement where are they going to go on these issues but i think what i can say is that and we've noted this a little bit has as a whole this whole new calvinism has created a taste for historicity in evangelicalism mm. more broadly this mm-hmm. isn't true of everyone there's plenty of evangelicals who are blissfully unaware of <laughs> church history and don't really care that they don't know too much about it but 
there's a there's been a growing subsection of evangelical Protestant young people um, who have realized that their faith is intellectually critiqued and strongly critiqued, and so in response they have sought to intellectually think deeply about their faith. And I think that this is what g- helped grow yeah. the Young Restless and Reformed movement. But now seeing where these people are going in their lives from here is really fascinating. Mm. Um, there's been a lot of people I know personally who have become Lutherans. And so Reformed theology was sort of a stepping stone uh, to becoming Lutheran. Away from like a broad evangelicalism. Yes. Yep. yep. Uh, I know some who have become Anglican. I myself am sort of Anglican in certain senses. Um, I'm Reformed and Anglican, I guess, and (laughs) whatever. Uh, I know people who have straight up converted to Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, I don't know too many people who have straight up left their faith. Mm. And that's one of the strengths, I think, of all of this, is that it has given us something deeper to chew on. Um, I think young Christians... Um, a, old, a little older than me, even a little younger than me, hunger today for something solid. Mm. And that's what Reformed theology mm-hmm. has offered. Whether or not people have always stuck with Reformed theology has been interesting to watch as my f- online Reformed friends that I've made over the years have gone in different directions. But I would say at the very least, almost all of us are still really strong and, and deep in our faith and thoughtful in our faith Mm. um that's one of the great strengths i think of it is that it has made a generation of young christians very intellectually engaged with their faith um, and unafraid of the world Mm. even though it's changing day by day we're not worried about whether our faith is going to be destroyed uh we're just worried about how do we take our faith and and bring it to this world and so yeah that's something I've noticed. I guess what I could say is that people who, who can become reformed are drawn towards uh, deeper forms of Christianity than the Mm non-denominational lights and Ted talk and rock concert sort of stuff. Yeah. And then thinking about the Christian reformed church. And and I think that this is probably representative of broader reformed movement as well. I think that there will be two temptations in the future. One is to drift towards a social gospel. Yeah. The other, just as dangerous, is to retreat into a fundamentalism. Yeah. And so the in our context, the dangers of just social gospel are uh, very, you know, uh, talked about a lot. What is talked about less in our culture, which is probably the greater danger in our conservative mm-hmm. culture, is the retreat into fundamentalism, which is not reformed. Yeah. I, I would want to be really clear that um, ref, re, real reformed theology has a doctrine of common grace. Real yeah. reformed theology has um, the authority of Christ over all spheres of life. And so Christ is working in amazing ways in all kinds of places Outside in the world, the outside the church, Not in the world, just Christians, and and so yeah. I I would say one one danger for the future is that social gospel, which really kind of minimizes the difference between special revelation and general revelation. Mm. Um, but then the other is just as dangerous, and may probably a lot more dangerous for us in our culture, which is pure fundamentalism 
Um, and, and that's partly why Calvinism appealed to a lot of people is because it offered a lot of answers in a yeah, fundamentalistic yes. kind of way. So yeah. like, oh, Mark Driscoll will just tell me everything that I need to think yeah. about all this stuff. Yep. Um, that's how I felt. I yeah. thought if I read Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, yeah. I would have everything that I needed to know. Yeah, and so that can easily trans transfer into fundamentalism. Yep. And uh, I, I do think when one actually reads John Calvin, you see, you, you read the, the work of a man who really embraced the mystery, the yeah. supremacy of God. Yeah. And was not a fundamentalist. Yeah. <laughs> and certainly he was fundamentalist on certain very basic gospel things and uh, many very good things but um john one of john calvin's uh ways of doing ministry and preaching was to say i'm going to say what the scripture says and i'm going to mind the depths of it but i'm not going to say anything more yeah um and some people would say that he didn't always follow that perfectly which i would probably agree but still that principle remains and Mm -hmm. i think that principle guards people against fundamentalism yeah so I hope that this has been an interesting journey for those of you, especially who grew up or have some sort of working knowledge of the, of Calvinism in America, especially in the last 20 or so years. Um, it's interesting to think about where Mm. it's been. Yeah. Um, what things have changed, what things are still the same. Um, and maybe who knows five years from now, we'll do another episode (laughs) (laughs) looking back episode 250. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly on how things, how we were right, how we were wrong. Um, but it's interesting to think about things and we hope that the gospel stays central. Yeah. The scriptures stay central and that we do continue to create and to form strong Christians who care about things like common grace and, and transforming the world for, uh, for the kingdom, not that we're mm-hmm. kingdom builders, but uh, <laughs> right. seeing his kingdom seeing come, his kingdom come, yeah, yeah. and we we want to see people who are devoted to prayer and devoted to to doctrine. So all these sorts of things we hope are, are still going to continue, and that the churches will be blessed. But who's to say where it will go? Only yeah. God knows. And so, yeah. with that, we want to say thanks for listening. Uh, Go ahead and share, comment, uh, like, subscribe, all of that fun stuff. And we will join with you guys next week. All right. Thank you.